Welcome to the Colby Daniels Podcast presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, including Kratom, CBD, and Delta 8. It's all about educating yourself on these products and how they can benefit your daily life. They have a staff that's dedicated to helping you live a better life. So if you have any questions whatsoever, don't hesitate to call Artisan Botanicals and ask those questions. 405-458-9699. Plus, we're saving you 15% off when you order online. Go to abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code ColbyShow, C-O-L-B-Y-S-H-O-W, for 15% off your online order. Plus, they have a drive through easy and safe, efficient pickup at Artisan Botanicals. Visit abotanicalcompany.com. All right, let's, uh, we're going we're gonna to cover a lot of ground today with Eric G. from the Tulsa Sports Animal. Eric G., what's happening today? Man, dude, there's a lot going on today. Um, I, all right. I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw one at you. This is sort of inspired by our draft on Friday, our superhero draft where we were building a TV show. Give me three television shows you want to see rebooted with like either a new cast. It doesn't. I mean, I guess it doesn't. You know, like one of mine is the sports reporters. I'd like to see the sports reporters rebooted, but with radio guys because they're way more entertaining than writers. But give me three television shows you want to see rebooted. Oh, that's uh that's a good pick. Um I, I would say Sports Center when it was a highlight show. Uh go back to like the big show with Dan Patrick and Keith Olbermann. Uh, I know they like try I think they tried that again um a while back and I, I just didn't catch, I guess, but uh I, I, I loved Sports Center when it was like an hour of highlights and you just caught up on everything that happened that day, uh, as opposed to the opinions, you know. I I I can get my sports opinions on sports radio. I, I always felt like Sports Center was something different, and then they kind of merged the two. So, Sports Center back to like the old highlight package form would probably be one. Um, I just watched a show a couple months ago on Netflix called The Kingdom, which is it's like an MMA show about this family. They're all MMA fighters. Anyway, it was three seasons, and I guess it got canceled in the third season, so they cut the season short and sped up the the storylines, and it just kind of it ended in a way that, you, you know, it was like obviously they knew the end was coming, so they just tried to wrap it up really quick. Uh, it caught on during the pandemic uh, when Netflix picked it up, and all these people, including myself, became aware of it, and uh, that would be one that I would I would love to see them uh, reboot. I think it ended in like 2017 or 2018, maybe. Uh, and it was, like I said, it was only three seasons and then it got canceled. So if Netflix would reboot that, that would be amazing. Um, let's see, what would my other one be? Give me a couple of yours while I think. Okay. I went very weird, which by the way, uh, on your First of all, on the kingdom, one thing to keep in mind is that Netflix picked up Lucifer after it was dropped by Fox, and they've actually cranked out new seasons. So Netflix has a pretty good track record where if something is in demand, they will reboot it and give the fans what they want. I went pretty weird with mine. Uh, my first one was this show you were probably a little bit too young for, and that's a shame because I honestly believe this was the coolest show ever in the history of television. It was called Night Flight. It was on USA TV. 
And I want to say, I can't remember if it ran just Fridays only or Fridays and Saturday, but it was like a four-hour block. And they would show music videos that MTV wouldn't. If it was banned on MTV, they would show it. So oh, wow. you got to see the uncensored version of like Frankie Goes to Hollywood Relax, which for um, a 10-year-old kid living in Forney, Texas was a real eye-opener. Um, they do like a half-hour block of heavy metal. They would do like a featured artist tonight. But what made it really cool, I mean like really cool and really you know mind-opening is they would also show like cult movies and music documentaries or pop culture documentaries. So like all these cult classics like Reefer Madness, uh, which is hilarious if you go back and watch it today. Um, there were all these there were all these movies that circled around drugs like in the fifties that were very anti drug movies that they would show. Or Rude Boy by The Clash. But you could reboot that today. And give it to a younger audience. You can go back with some of those older cult classic movies because a lot of them are evergreen. And um, the millennials and the the generation younger than them are very sarcastic. So they would get a kick out of it. Um, You could find new cult classics like Pulp Fiction would fit in perfect. Like you could show Pulp Fiction and Reservoir Dogs in this block. People would watch um, music videos. And again... All you have to do with the music video is, is, videos is pick your demo and then just highlight what, whatever is cool in that demo or what is a little bit more underground in that demo and give it to them. And it's a show that, that could have gone on forever. And why it got pulled in favor of Up All Night, I'll never know. Um, as fun as it was to look at Rhonda Shear when you're 17, you were really missing um, – finding out and learning about things from the past. Like there was a documentary they did on, you know, Bob Marley and the Whalers, or they'd show a Bob Marley and the Whalers concert film. It's like, Oh wow. So there's like all this new, there's all this stuff out there that I'm not getting on radio and I'm not getting on MTV. They're not exposing me. You know, at that time, MTV wasn't really exposing you to hip hop. Night flight did. Um, any metal that MTV was playing, uh, really at that time wasn't hard enough. So these guys were giving you like the harder edge, you know, more risque type, you know, stuff. So, you know, stuff was very, very cool. The other one, and I, I think this is going to get stolen and somebody's going to do it. Reboot Hee Haw. Have Blake Shelton and Brad Paisley be your host. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you're probably right. That, that as soon as they run out of uh, viewers, which may never happen, of the Voice, then you know that'll probably take place. Well, I, I'm surprised somebody didn't do it like in the mid to late 2000s when country hit a spark. Like country got really hot there for a while. Like it was kind of dominating the mainstream. Yeah. And it's like, you know, that was your time to seize on it. And Brad Paisley's a good enough musician that he could fill that Roy Clark thing, which that, that was honestly the best thing about Hee Haw. It wasn't just the humor and the Hee Haw honeys. It was watching Roy Clark play. Because even if you were into rock and guitar guys, you watch Roy Clark play, play any instrument, you're like, holy crap. I mean, this dude... You think might put Eddie Van Halen to shame. You just couldn't help but just have your eyes locked <laughs> onto it. So, so Brad Paisley could fill that, and then you have uh, Blake Shelton fill that Buck Owens role. I that's a hit. That's a hit. Somebody's got to. Somebody has to do that. And then I said the sports reporters. 
So there was. <laughs> there you go. You put some thought into that. I like it. Yeah, I just it was stuff that I was missing. I get I get bored real easy, and, and Facebook is just too easy to be at the fingertips. Technology has given us more ways to be unresponsible about things, yeah. and any indulgence any indulgence we want is is just now we have access to. Where I mean, you think back to when we were kids. I mean, this is, okay, this is a weird road we're going down, but think about the kids. I mean, if we wanted to look at a dirty magazine, you had to know someone who had it. Like, you couldn't walk into the store and buy it because usually the clerk at 7-Eleven was going to be a little bit more responsible and they were going to sell you the copy of Playboy. Somebody had to have that magazine. Everybody, ha- everybody had that friend that had, like, 50 of them stashed away somewhere, right? Yes! Absolutely, but you had to know them. You had to look for it. Now <laughs> it's just a matter of picking up your cell phone and going, ah, you know, punching in whatever suits your fancy. And it's there. Oh um, yeah. Were you the kid that had the magazines, uh, or no? Okay. No, I was. I was. I was too scared. I was too scared that my uh, my parents would find out. And I was my, my you got my dad is probably six two. 200 something pounds retired Marine captain football coach. No, yeah. I was scared. You're getting to your that. ass beat if that happens. Um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, like the, <laughs> the worst thing I ever did, the worst thing I ever did is, um, I hid a can of dip. I had <laughs> such a nerd. Um, I played trombone in the sixth grade and I had this huge trombone case, but it had all these compartments in it. Like this was a, this was a, I played a professional trombone where everybody else just got the one from the music store. My mom bought me a professional one. She knew from someone because she could get it cheaper. Well, I didn't want to play it anymore. Seventh grade, I took up dipping, took up smokeless tobacco. And in that case, there were enough little compartments and I had it stuffed in the back of my closet where I could, I could hide my dip. And I was so afraid of my dad. I remember going to school the next day and like getting it out, hiding it in, I can't remember if it was my bag or my jeans or whatever. And then giving it to one of my friends and telling him to hold on for me. And I never saw it again, but no, yeah. Any, any vice. I always thought my dad would just kill me for, so was never lucky enough to have all the dirty magazines. Uh, speaking of the dip story, um, I'll, I'll never forget this, uh, this one time I'm, I'm in my bedroom and my mom comes in and I guess like my, so I dipped Copenhagen. So I, my spitter was like this 20 ounce Coke bottle, uh, Coca-Cola bottle. And I guess like, I, I just kept it under my bed. Uh, and I guess it was, I hadn't pushed it far enough under. So it was kind of like sticking out. So my mom's in my room talking to me about God knows what, uh, probably, me not doing chores or something like that. And uh, she sees the bottle and picks it up. And I'm like, oh, shit. Like, this is not going to end well. And I don't even know what reason she had. Maybe she, like, saw the floating stuff in it or something. But she unscrews the the cap. Oh, And, wow. like, if, you know, any if anybody's ever had a spitter that's, you know, been sitting for any period of time, you know, like, that smell when you when you open the cap. So she opens the cap. And I'm like, I'm dead meat. This is, uh, I'm about to get grounded. Like, I'm going to be in big trouble. I'm probably like 15 or 16 at this point. So the smell is just atrocious. And she just like, 
I'll never forget. It was so funny. She just goes, oh my gosh, this Coke has gone bad and puts the cap back on and tells me to throw it away and like walks out of the room. And I was like, oh my God, I got away with it. Holy cow. So somebody was looking out for I just, you and wave the yeah, hand. I just thought my mom is either the most naive human being on the planet or, um, she, she took massive pity on me in this, in this circumstance. And I don't know. You did, you did Copenhagen. Oh, uh, yeah. So you were, you were, you were a pro because I never got into the, anything other than skull long cut. So I was, you know, I was like single a, you know, probably class the amateur before. I mean, like I started <laughs> in the seventh grade. I quit in the seventh grade. Did Copenhagen a couple of times. Um, did Copenhagen a couple of times. And each time I did Copenhagen, I always got that Copenhagen high. That that thing where you, you either swallow it or when you put it in your mouth, like all of a sudden you feel like you are drunk. Did you get that the first time you did Copenhagen or was it just, did it automatically take with you like you did one of my friends? I, well, yeah, I, I mean, I, I obviously did it for a reason. So, um, yeah, I would say yes, <laughs> but, uh, so I, I actually started with the first thing I ever dipped was this terrible, it, it was like a dollar a can. I think at the time it was called grizzly Oh God. and it was, it was oh, bad, God. so bad. Uh, and then I, I started doing Skull Mint, but I was such a wuss. Like, Skull Mint made me puke every time. Like, I don't know why. It just, I, I would get, like, like you're talking about that, that, like, rush where you feel like you're, like, every time I would just get dizzy and get the spins and blah. And, uh, yeah, and then, then somehow I just settled on Copenhagen and it was like, okay, this one, this one works. That is the most potent of them all. I mean, it's snuff. It's so finely ground. I am, I'm impressed. I'm impressed with anybody who, who could dip Copenhagen because I, I never could. I was like, yeah, I, I get sick. I get sick almost immediately after having it in my mouth for about 30 seconds. It's like, nope, time to throw up. Yeah, that's me with, <laughs> that's, that's me with uh, the Skull Mint or the Skull Wintergreen. Ugh. To this day, Ugh. if I smell like a Skull Mint, it just... I get that like queasy feeling in my stomach. So do you still dip or are you, or are you giving it up? No, I, I quit, uh, probably like 10 years ago, right around the oh, time wow. I got into radio, actually, um, for two reasons. A, uh, I, well, I actually, I started, I, I still chewed to, I, I, I went to chewing tobacco, um, at that point. And, and so I guess to just tell the story, I dipped so much Copenhagen that my gums were just getting destroyed and I ended up having to have like a gum graft because my, oh, like I just, geez. yeah, I dipped so much that, uh, that the gums were just receding at, at this crazy pace. So I had to have a gum graft. So they were like, you have to stop dipping. Like it's, you're, you're going to just completely destroy your mouth. So I just thought, you know what, instead of dip, I'll just go to chewing tobacco. And so I, I started doing that <laughs> and, uh, I did that for a while, and then I remember, so, so when I was working in Stillwater at, at Triple Play, like, every show, I would have a massive, like, chew in my mouth, and, uh, I don't know, somewhere along the way, I think somebody was like, um, you need to stop doing that, because you, you don't speak as clearly, and blah, 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 and I don't know, I think I just, just got out of it. 
you're, you're spitting in the cup as you're make, as you're as you're making your point. I mean, I yeah. in, in some markets that would play very well. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's Oklahoma, you would think that, that would be I, hey, fine. In, in Stillwater, like I thought it was a perfect perfect fit. So, and that's 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 well, not absolutely. a disrespect you're, against. You're, uh, I mean, I was the one dipping, so or chewing. Well, I mean, like you're, you're, uh, they're thinking this guy's like Tom Holiday, or this guy's like Gary Ward. He's chewing. He's on the air. Yeah, they're winners. He's a winner. Yeah. We got it going on. We got it going on. That's so. That's so. Ba- so, did you play high school baseball? Because it sounds like you did. Based I did. On your tobacco yeah. Use. yeah, I did. Um, yeah, every high school baseball player I knew used yeah. some used some form of tobacco. Yeah. Either they dipped or they chewed. Ironically enough, none of them ever smoked, but I've known people who dipped and had the same issues that you did with their gums and had to get grass. Yeah. But instead of going to chewing tobacco, they just took up smoking. So, yeah. I started chewing tobacco because I played on the golf team and I wasn't very good, by the way, and I wasn't, uh, I was like an alternate. So, uh, I was, I was not like one of the, the like guys whose score actually mattered. Uh, but I'd get to play a free round like every, competition and uh yeah anyway so one of the guys that uh, yeah yeah it was nice it was nice uh one of the guys on the team chewed on the course and so he got that's how I got into that is we'd go play golf and chew just lasted longer than than a dip so throw in a chew and go hit the little white ball into the trees over that's and over. A heck of a, that's a heck of a, I almost <laughs> wish I played high school golf now as an alternate. Yeah, I get a free round. Okay, cool. Yeah. I don't have to go out and, and compete, but I still get to play. All right. <laughs> yeah. well, the funny awesome. thing was our high school golf team probably had like 20 kids. And like, you know, you only <laughs> wow. have like five kids that actually play on the team whose scores count. Uh, but then they would like rotate alternates. And I think like two alternates would get to play each time at, at like the, the tournaments. Uh, but for golf practice every day after school, you just go to the golf course and like the coach would, would like pick certain individuals to work with that day. And everybody else just went and played around a golf. Like that was your practice was playing around a golf. So, so like four out of the five days, like one day a week, the coach would probably work with you on your swing or something like that. But the other four days, you just like, as soon as school's over, you just go to the golf course, play 18 holes and you're done. <laughs> it was a good gig, man. It was a really good gig. This was a real good gig. Those are the kids that did not want to run track. That's exactly <laughs> what that is. They, they they had it all figured out. Like I'm never going to play, but yeah, ah, you know, at least I, at least I don't have to. At least I don't have to do ladders, and at least I don't have to run. Maybe a, you don't have to do a distance day. You're just going to play golf. I mean that. Yeah. That's perfect. I wish I'd been that smart. Well, here's I'll, I'll, here's the I, I I was even smarter because during the spring I also played tennis, and in the town I'm from, like everybody played golf. Like I told you, there was a bunch there were a bunch of kids on the on the golf team, and all the best athletes in our school were also golfers. So a lot of those guys were actually good at golf, whereas I was terrible at golf. Uh, but they were at, like the good golfers that that were actually like starters. You know, they were they were on the team, like the guys that that played in the tournaments. Uh, so, a, a buddy of mine and I were golfing one day, and uh, we happened to notice the tennis courts. Uh, like a lot of the attractive girls 
were on the tennis team, and we looked at the guys that were on the tennis team, and uh, it was like a bunch of like freshmen. Like it was like, like literally there was like nobody on the tennis team, and we were like, hey, like just based strictly off of athleticism, we should be able to make the tennis team. I mean, no problems. And uh, so we went and played tennis. Uh, my buddy and I doing doubles because neither one of us was like good enough or knew enough about tennis to like play as a single at all. So we decided we were going to team up and be a doubles team and, and do tennis as well. So again, based strictly off athleticism and not necessarily tennis skill, we became, we were the top double, the top men's doubles team for our high school team. So what we discovered was the tennis team had all of these like weekend out-of-town tournaments. And a lot of the attractive girls in our high school played tennis. And so it was like basically us two and then like all the all the good-looking tennis girls on these these uh, weekend trips. So that's Smart. that's where the brilliance came in, yeah. Yes, I think I think that's why a lot of guys I ran track with ended up doing track all year round. Because that's that's the way uh, cross country and track. There were a lot of out of town, um, a, a lot of out of town meets, which I didn't care for because I had a girlfriend. I did not want to go, but through just through conversations at practice, I'd start hearing stories about things that went on during these trips. Yeah. And I'm thinking to myself, holy crap, you guys are my, And my first thought, even then, was, yeah, you guys are going to get a coach fired. Not like, hey, that's <laughs> really cool that, you know, right, right. You, you've been sleeping with such and such. You know, you, you're, you're sleeping with, like, this girl when, when y'all go out of town and that's, like, your thing. It's like, somebody's going to get caught. Like, in, inevitably, somebody always gets caught. And I'm like, ah, coach is going to get fired. Y'all are going to get kicked off the team. I'm like, I so don't want yeah. any. There was a point where, for some reason, my junior, senior year, I was like, I don't want any part of this. I don't want <laughs> And it's like, nah, I'm, go I'm good with just doing the meets that are close to home. I want in. I want out. I don't really enjoy this all this that much. Yeah. But somebody's going to get, I'm just going to say, somebody's getting knocked up. Somebody's going to get knocked up on one of these trips. No, can't be one finger me. Well, I was, I, I was always, I always brought like some Jim Beam or, you know, Jack Daniels or whatever I could get my hands on for that weekend. And, and the beautiful part of it was, again, we were the top doubles team at our school, but we were so bad. We were never going to win in these tournaments. So we would be one and done. The first day we would be there, we would go, you know, we'd go play. We would lose our match immediately. We'd be eliminated. And then we were done for the weekend. Like we had nothing else to do. And so we're, we're just hanging out basically and uh, just, you know, being around and then, uh, you know, the, staying at the hotel and, and all that good stuff. So, yeah, I, I don't think we ever, we, we never won a match. Never, not one. So how many, so how many matches did y'all play hungover? Um, a few, a few. Is that, okay. I, I only played hungover once. And it was during it was during seven on seven football, and it was one of the worst decisions of my life. I had not slept. I it was the last day. It's it was the the game was the day at 
after the last day of school. So one of my friends and I, we get off our job. We go drinking that night. Um, and I stay up all night. Like, I think I may have gone to bed at four, having to be up at seven and show up, show up at OU where the, where the games were. It was a no condition to play. I mean, like none at all. So much so that when we were playing noble and the quarterback threw the ball to me and it grew, the ball grew as it was coming closer to me. And I'm like, there's no way I'm catching this. I was so thankful for the guy that just shoved me out of the way. They committed pass interference. I just <laughs> gave him a high five. I'm like, this thing's going to hit me in the face. Um, but it was, your head's ringing. I can't see anything. I've got people telling me, you need to get in there and go get reps. I'm like, nah, dude. No. No. I do not need to get reps. I will be fine. Once <laughs> <laughs> this weekend, once this weekend is over, I will be a-okay. Um, but, I don't know how you did it. I mean, how, how, it's got to be difficult to play tennis when you're hungover. And your reaction time's got to be slow. Could you wear sunglasses? Could you, could you at least wear sunglasses and, and block out the light? Or were you forced into a situation where you had to expose your your, your bloodshot eyes to the rest of the world? I don't, rem- I don't remember wearing sunglasses. Um Yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't ever remember that. Here's the other good thing. Like I told you, we always we always played in the morning. I don't think the sun was ever an issue, if if I remember correctly. I mean, it was always a morning match because you know we were you're playing in the first round, and then we're eliminated. And we never played again. So, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and we were we were usually ranked so low starting these tournaments that we were playing really good competition. Like I remember when we got to the state tournament. The very first round we played, we played these these two kids that I don't know if they won state, but I remember our coach telling us like they they potentially might win state in, in the state of Texas, and they beat us six zero six zero. It was very quick. It probably took about fifteen minutes, and it was done. Uh, they were they were really really good, and even sober. I mean, like it was just ace ace ace. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm, I'm trying to imagine what you, what your coach was saying to you during that whole season. Like, all right, guys, way to go. <laughs> I mean, he was happy to have us because we were far more athletically gifted than the kids that were already there. So, I mean, we were the best that they had to offer. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, it, what, what could he say? You know, we were like... Neither one of us had any tennis experience I, whatsoever. I'm just, I'm just imagine, I'm just imagining him being like. Did you ever see Teen Wolf, the Michael J. Fox yes, movie? Yeah, yeah. I'm just imagining him being like the basketball coach <laughs> in, in that movie. Like, <laughs> absolutely. He's doing it because, absolutely. He's doing it because. Hey, this came with the job. This is yeah. how I got the yeah. job. It's gonna. Yeah. All right, <laughs> go out there and, and and get and get our brains beat in. But hey, you guys get a uniform. It's it's, it's, yeah. it's all good. He was so. also, I mean, you know how this works in in a lot of high schools. Uh, you know, there are some high schools that are big enough that that they have just individual coaches for one sport, and that's all those people do. But there are also you know schools where the basketball coach is also the tennis coach. You know what I mean? So like. 
He was yeah. he was the basketball coach. That's that's what he actually cared about. He also probably was just like told, "Hey, uh, we don't have anybody to coach tennis. So when you're not doing basketball, when basketball's over, uh, you're going to have to, you know, just monitor the tennis kids." I, I think is probably the way that went. <laughs> I went to a I went to a DFW school. That's the way track was done at DFW with all the football coaches. Yeah, doing so, yeah, it. Yeah. So the majority of the kids that did track were the football players. And it was actually fun. It was fun to do track because I mean we we were there we were there to compete. We, we really didn't have track practice. We do off-season football and then if you were competing at track and you wanted to go out and do a little extra work for it, feel free. But it was mainly, we're going to do off-season football, we're going to show up on Saturday, and we're going to kick everybody's ass. And normally we did, because normally we had better athletes than ever, than everybody else. Because it was all big football players. Like, our sprinters were going to be faster than your guys that just ran track, or we were going to be better developed because we were bigger and stronger. Yeah. Um, even, even our distance runners, for the most part, they were doing some sort of football. So it was fun. It was it was like a hobby more than it was a sport. And then you get to Norman High, and it's a completely separate thing where all these people are just doing track all year round. And I'm coming off the right. football field. I'm like, yeah, this sucks. And I did it, um, but I didn't. But I didn't enjoy it near as much because I would have rather done off season football than do track practice. Yeah. Track practice is boring unless you unless we were running down the campus, and we could run down. We'd usually get. We'd go past North and South Creek. So anytime you can see the sorority girls, that's when it was fun. Other than that, it really was just. Yeah. yeah really if anybody mean, ever just, wondered what teenage much. boys are motivated by. Uh, yeah, here you go. Just a little insight. Yeah, this is what. So, so if you have sons and they haven't. <laughs> Literally every choice exactly they make is thinking. with something along those lines in the back of their mind. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How will this impact <laughs> exactly. my chances? Will it give me a chance? Does it, uh, yeah. Yeah, literally hey, every decision. You know, yeah, even if I've got no chance, at least I can I can think that I might have a chance. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah. Ah. Uh, uh, <laughs> carefree days of being a teenage No boy. doubt, no doubt. You just thought you had it rough back then, but. Yeah. 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 <laughs> Anyway, uh, dude, NCAA tournament. Um, big, exciting. Okay. Are you excited? I'm going to watch the NCAA. I, I am for one reason and one reason only. Oklahoma State's in it, and as long as Kate Cunningham is in this tournament, I'm going to watch. He is the only thing I'm interested in in this tournament because I want to see how much better he can get over a two, three-week period of time versus what he's done the rest of the year. I want to see if Mike Boynton's got another way to use him and actually got a chance to talk with Mike Boynton last night on our uh, NCAA preview show. And he said the only thing that they really haven't used him is as, a, is as a lockdown defender. But Mike Boynton's pretty confident he can do that as well. Yeah. So as long as Kate Cunningham is there, and, and I'm getting to see OSU play, which not, I mean, those, the Boone twins are a lot of fun to watch as well. But as long as he is in it, and I get to see 
a future NBA star, then yeah, I'm interested. But once he's gone, I am done. I am done with this. There's, there's what? not, there's, 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 yeah, there's not anything else in this tournament this year that I find all that interesting. Interesting, other than, other than the fact that it's in one location. Yeah. And how does how does that, if at all, affect the play? Or you know, it's going to affect the atmosphere. But does the atmosphere affect the play? But other than that, there's really not any all that many compelling stories. Some people say Gonzaga going undefeated, but logic will tell you they're due for a loss at some point, and they'll probably suffer that loss before they get to the Final Four. I'm picking, I don't. They're think my they're, champion. I'm picking them to win it all. Really? Oh yeah. yeah. Wow. They're good, I man. See, I think it's. Yeah, but I think you put them on the same court with somebody as athletic as Baylor, um, even an Arkansas, um, who's played really well this year. Heck, I don't know if they could beat Oklahoma State right now. With the way Oklahoma State's playing, mm-hmm. I just again schools schools that are in the, that are in the West Coast Conference, which is what Gonzaga is. You're not tested game in game out, and eventually you run into somebody from the Big Twelve from the Big Ten that's going to be more athletic than you are and is certainly going to be more tested than you are. And I just, when you play in a conference like that, I have a hard time thinking you're, you're going to win the national championship. Um, that might be a compelling story for some, um, but for me, it just doesn't do a whole lot for me. If Gonzaga goes undefeated, great. I, I would not consider them to even be in the, I would not consider them in the same realm that Indiana team that went undefeated and certainly wouldn't consider them to be as good as the UNLV team that was on the tape and, and didn't go undefeated or any of the Fab Five teams. It's a nice story, but it's Gonzaga for crying out loud. Yeah, look, I, I would say this. What you said about their competition is, is absolutely true, and I don't dispute any of that. But Gonzaga has more talent now than they've ever had, and they're getting better athletes than they ever have. They've established themselves as a program that, you know, if, if you're not going to be a one-and-done kid, if you're not going to be a Duke or Kentucky guy, why not go to Gonzaga? You're going to play around other talented players. You're going to play around four-year guys. You're going to play around a bunch of veterans. Like, they're, I don't know if you've seen them play, but they have a guard named Jalen Suggs who is a five-star recruit. He's a freshman. And I've, I, like, I saw this kid play back in November, and I was like, if Cade Cunningham is one, this kid is two. Like, he is exceptional. I, I think he's going to be a great NBA point guard. Uh, again, if I had the first two picks in the draft, if I got Cade Cunningham or Jalen Suggs, I would be happy. I think this kid is a, a future star. And then you pair him with, a, again, a bunch of guys that, have four years of college basketball experience. They have a lot of length. It's, you know, 6'7", 6'9", 6'10", guys. Everybody on the team can shoot threes. Like, there's there's not a downside to this team. And and like I said, they, they have better quality athletes than they've ever had. They're recruiting at a much higher level because I think it's easier to sell a kid on Gonzaga these days because the landscape at, at every Power 5 uh, conference changes so drastically. Well, the reason that landscape changes so much, well, and, and here's what here's what here's what becomes interesting here in the in the next couple of years at, the, at these Power Five schools is do the Kentuckys and the Dukes and the Kansases, which of all three become factories for the one for the one and done, they become havens for the one and done yep. athletes. 
do they even adjust their recruiting philosophy to take less of those one-and-done kids and, and look for more of the kids that are going to stay three and four years, even if they're not going to be NBA players but are still a high caliber of athlete because your one-and-done players are becoming none-and-done. They're either going to the G League or they're going to Europe. I think there's another league that's, that's going to start up as a developmental league. I and mean, you were talking about this kid being the, the number two pick in the draft. My first question when I heard that was, okay, he could be, but is there somebody that's playing in this G League on this developmental team that might actually go higher than him? Because how we're, how the NBA is starting to look at players where they're finding players is yeah. so much different th- than it was when we first got into this business. So, and I really want to ask Mike Boyd this last night. Unfortunately, I didn't get to, but I don't, he's never going to have another player like Caleb Cunningham. I mean, he may have some really good players, but it's probably the last time you see a guy of that caliber turn down money yeah. out of high school. So it's, this is, to see how Calipari and Krzyzewski adjust, because they've Calipari is really good at the one-and-done game. Krzyzewski's adjusted to it, so itself. But to see how they recruit here in these next three, four years, it may be the most fascinating story in college basketball because I think you can see a lot of these programs get away from the one-and-done just because those kids aren't there anymore. They've got better options. If, I can, if I'm good yeah. enough to make $500,000 a year, why am I going to go not make five hundred grand a year and spend a, and spend a year in school when I can go play against competition that will better get me suited for the association than what I'm going to play in in the SEC or the ACC? I feel like we need a big success story, though, for that to become the rule and not the exception, right? Like, Because there have been guys like Darius Baisley and R.J. Hampton uh, that, you know, have, have obviously not played college basketball, they've done their own thing. Uh, they've they've gotten drafted, obviously, but they, you know, neither one of those guys was a premier lottery pick. Uh, I don't think either one of those guys was drafted in the lottery, right? Um, yeah. Nope. Yeah, Basically I mean, was, what, 19? Yeah, something like that. And then uh, R.J. Hampton last year, I think, was in the 20s, correct? Yeah. So I mean, yeah, and... and well... You're, you're just going to have to have one of those kids that, that takes a New Balance internship or, you know, like you said, maybe does the G League thing and becomes a top five pick and gets the big money, I think, for that to become a, a regular thing. I, you'll always have guys that are going to try would, that route. Would LaMelo, but... ball, would LaMelo Ball fall into that category? Oh, Played in man. Australia? I don't, he's kind of a different situation. His brother was already in the NBA. He was already on NBA radars, and he played. I mean, he he's been playing overseas for multiple years. Yeah, so a little bit different That's situation, I think. Well, and the thing with Baisley, here's the thing that, that makes Baisley so intriguing is okay. May, you could think maybe not me. You, you may think to yourself, okay, maybe I'm not a lottery pick. But if I can go spend a year, get an internship, put a million dollars in my pocket, and just get drafted in the first round, which gen- which means I'm going to be on a roster, I'll take my chances with that. I mean, I mean when you're when you're weighing your options, it's like if I'm going to go to college for a year, and the best I can do after a year is probably end up after the 15th pick, then why would I choose to go to college? Because not going to make a difference. 
I'll just go work on, I'll go work for a year on the combine and I'll go make a million dollars in an internship. Yeah. That makes, to me, that makes total sense. Uh, NBA salary right now, first year salary for the number one pick in the draft is $8 million. For the number 25 pick, it's 1.7. Yeah. So there you go. I'm good. You go to college. I'm good with you're, that. You're potentially, well, I, yeah, I'm, I'm good with 1.7 too. But if you're a kid that's been told his whole life that uh, you're a potential multimillionaire and everybody around you is telling you you're the best thing that's ever happened, I don't know. I, I mean, you, you play a year at Kentucky and show that you can do it against college athletes. I, I mean, it's just it's just the setup we have. You're gonna be viewed more favorably than the guys right now that that aren't playing in college basketball that go, unless you go overseas and you just kill it, which is a rare thing. I mean, you're playing against grown men, even LaMelo ball. What, what it's not like he was just destroying those guys when he first got over there. So no, it's, but, it's but tough, man. He, it's tough to, I think it's tough for a team to watch you play like a grown man game and not dominate and say, I'm going to take you in the top five. So, you know, there's a, and, and we're talking about $6 million difference from pick one to pick 25. No, but I, I, I always kind of feel it's like, okay, so if he's dominating college kids, how is he going to do when he, when he gets to, – to me, I'd rather see him against grown men, even if he's not dominating. But I can see the potential in the game where it's like, okay, he needs to get a little bit bigger, but our, or he needs to um, – his ball handling skills have got to get better, or certain aspects of his game have to improve, but – I've been able to track him all year long against the a, a closer a closer simulation to the competition he's going to play, and he just keeps getting better. I'm going to feel more comfortable about taking that guy than I am watching some guy just run through college kids, unless that guy is Zion Williamson. Yeah, because at that point, when you're looking at him, it's like okay, it, it doesn't matter what court you put him on. There's nobody that looks like that. You know, you're you're not going to be able to contain him. I mean, maybe LeBron is a guy that can meet him at meet him at the rim and make him think twice, or yeah. um, an Anthony Davis, or I mean, heck, even a Nerlens Noel might be able to block his shot. But for the most part, he's just so big and athletic that it it just throw him anywhere, and, and he's and he's going to be successful. Yeah, no, that's fair. Are you going to fill out a bracket? Oh, I filled out. I have filled out fifteen so far. Oh, okay. And here's why. <laughs> okay, here's why. One, I I am running an ex- I am running somewhat of an experiment. I want to see because I've done a few of the auto fills on ESPN. I think I've done like four or five auto fills on ESPN. I want to see if they're any better than the ones that I picked myself because I don't. I mean, I don't follow college basketball close enough to know. So I just want to see. Yeah. All right. You know what the computer says versus what I pick. You know, is it is it any better? And, and how many times did it you know did it come out better? The other reason I feel that a lot is I want to see. I, I know today is the deadline for some of these alternate teams to get in if somebody's going to pull out because of COVID. What I want to see is at the end how many brackets I picked, but I had teams advancing. Yeah that may not have unless another team could not play because of COVID. Right. Like this is, I am just from a, a strangeness standpoint, this is the strangest college basketball term that we've ever had because it just 
field. Yeah. Like there's going to be a team that would not lose under normal circumstances, get knocked out of the tournament either by COVID and they don't have enough people to play or because the NCAA is the threshold at five players, somebody might run out with six. Somebody might run out with just six players this year and through the course of 40 minutes, they get worn down or they may be able to survive for 40 minutes. But in the next game, in the same situation, they're too worn out. And a full allotment of players may mean that they would have won that game, but since they don't have them and you're only playing with six players, they may just, you know, ultimately fold. It's, that part of it I do find a little bit intriguing. That's why I filled out so many brackets because it's like, oh, I'm gonna go back I'm gonna go back and look at every single one of these just to see how off it was this year. Yeah. And just the, the, I don't know, the ran, the randomness of the uh, of this tournament in normal years um can can drive you crazy trying to fill out a bracket, but this year even more so. I've I've seen multiple college basketball guys picking both Virginia and Kansas to get upset in this thing uh, simply because of COVID. They're, they're both shorthanded right now. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not stupid. Um, And then there's a lot of teams like, I don't know. I mean, OU Missouri, I don't know how I feel about either one of those teams. Neither one of them are playing well coming into the tournament. I haven't seen Missouri play this year. I know OU I know Austin Rivers is going to make dumb decisions during the game. Um, and I know that Elijah Harkless is probably going to have, you know, two or three big defensive plays, but I don't know which Brady Bannock's going to show up. But is Missouri, is Missouri any better than them? Maybe Missouri may be just as bad or even worse than OU. So I don't know. That, that game was like it's like throw a dart at a board. Just just pick one. Just yeah. pick one and move on. I just picked OU um, because I think their their ceiling is higher. I mean, both teams are struggling, but OU I think has a higher ceiling. We've seen them play really good basketball. They're not playing it right now, but we know it's in there somewhere. Yeah. Uh, well, if they could just honestly, if they could just play the way they did the second half versus Kansas, the, I mean, they could play that way for every game. I could see them actually beating Gonzaga. Um, Texas is another team that, that, that's weird because they've had their ups and downs. They've had their COVID struggles, but they look pretty good in the Big 12 tournament. But would they have gotten by Kansas? Because Kansas looked pretty good against OU. They looked like they were starting to peak, and then they had the COVID thing. So I have to kind of wonder about them. Um, I don't know what to make of the SEC schools. I, I really like Alabama. I think they could end up in the Final Four this year. Uh, Houston is another team that's kind of interesting um, with Kelvin Sampson. Um, that's, a, that's a team that, that might be worth watching. USC has played well, but then you got these weird play-in games um, with like Wichita State and Drake. Yeah. Um, How about Michigan, Michigan State, Michigan UCLA? State, yeah. Which honestly, for the tournament, that was genius putting them into a play into a play-in game because for most people who are average fans, they just know the names. Yeah, and those are and those are top like, ten programs in college basketball. It, but yeah, I'll watch that. Yeah, sure, I'll watch that. Michigan State, UCLA. I mean, you're probably thinking they're both pretty good if you don't know anything about it. Yeah. So that, that you give us a little eye candy. In, in in the play in games, but this is um, 
I don't know, talk to Dave Hunziker last night as well. Dave Hunziker is, he is not going to Indianapolis, but his partner is Sean Holcomb is. So Holcomb will be in Indianapolis doing color commentator. Hunziker will be back in, in Stillwater doing the play-by-play for the, for the matchup. I mean, this is, yeah. And, and they get a feed. They get a feed. They don't watch what we watch. They get a feed since then directly from CBS or TNT, who's ever, who's ever carrying the game. Yeah. That's awesome. I, I hope maybe more than anything in the entire tournament that we get the Illinois-Oklahoma State matchup in the Sweet 16. Okay. I, okay. Talking to Holcomb last night. <laughs> he is so worried about that matchup. He thinks Illinois is just a terrible, god-awful matchup for Oklahoma it, State. Yeah, and I think I it is too. But Underwood. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, he is worried about that one. He's like, I've watched Indiana, I've watched Illinois play enough this year. I don't want that matchup at all. But is, is the Brad Underwood thing that intriguing? Okay, the question is: Is why are Oklahoma State fans? mad at Brad Underwood, why are they not mad at um why are they not mad at, at, at the soon to be former athletic director? Well I think I think fans are probably irritated at both. But I think fans also felt like Brad Underwood really blew smoke up their asses uh when he talked about how much he loved Oklahoma State and the tradition and blah 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 blah. A year later he's out the door. Um you know, you can blame Holder for part of that. Uh, and then, look, I think in his wake, he left behind an assistant that broke rules and put Oklahoma State's basketball program in a bad position. So, uh, I mean, it's I, I, there's layers to it, I believe. Uh, I, I get the second more than the first because Holder, Holder had a breaking point. For whatever reason, Holder had a breaking point of he was only going to pay his basketball coach so much. And if you're Brad Underwood, it's okay. Well, if you're dead set on that, then I'm going to go take money. And I would never hold that against him. I would hold that against older for being cheap. And as my co-host likes to point out every day, um, spending $60 million on, on a baseball stadium when you don't need it. Um, no matter what the tradition is at Oklahoma State with baseball, you don't need a $60 million baseball stadium. That's $60 million needs to go to make sure that men's basketball and, and moreover football get well taken care of. And that was always Mike Holder's biggest problem is he was the golf coach and he liked the non-revenue sports and liked them a little bit too much. And the old philosophy at Oklahoma State, and I get this from very good sources, was you were gonna fund the you were gonna fund the non-revenues to the hilt because you could be competitive with OU in those, and you could even be better than OU in those, and it gave the illusion to fans that you could compete with OU when you really couldn't in football, and football is what is what really mattered. Um, and now, you know, and men's basketball falls very falls second to that. So, if you're an OSU fan, I would never tell you how to feel, but it seems like Mike Holder deserves the blame for that, as far as the assistant goes. Yeah, yeah. Brad Underwood knew about that and went and hired the guy. Yeah, and now he may have even gotten South Carolina in trouble. He may have gotten South Carolina in trouble as well. So you can't tell me Brad Underwood yeah. or whoever was doing their due diligence in that hiring 
didn't know what didn't know why this guy was being hired and what his past was. He was being hired because he was he was that he was that guy that can that that can negotiate. Yeah. And um, um, you know, fortunately for Oklahoma State, the appeal is held up. Um, we'll probably end up getting stuck with that one year ban. But if it happens next year, it certainly doesn't hurt as bad when you don't have a guy like a Cunningham because you probably aren't going to have as good a shot next year making a run as you will this year. But yeah, no, I get it. Let me let me throw this out though. Standpoint. As far as the the fan base and the holder situation, I, I just want to throw this out because I, I think you have to revisit history a little bit to make this situation make a little more sense. Travis Ford comes in, has tremendous success in year one. They win an NCAA tournament game, and then he gets the massive contract, right? And then like two years, right. two, three, four years later, however long it was, it kind of felt like the thing was falling apart, and the entire fan base was calling Mike Holder an idiot for giving Travis Ford that massive contract, whatever it was, like eight years, I don't even remember the money, but that massive contract after one year of success. So you have an entire fan base that's pissed off at you for extending a guy for only having a year success, and then Brad Underwood has one year of success. I, I, I mean, he literally had just gone through receiving criticism year in, year out for giving an extension after a year. I, I, to me, it just seems like th- that was never going to happen. He was never going to give Brad Underwood a big payday after a year of success. He just got burned doing that. And the entire fan base talked about it constantly. No, that, well, in that case, again, go back. Why did, why after one year did he think Travis Ford was the answer? Everybody did. He was the hot assistant and, you know, he was a Kentucky guy. He immediately had success. Like, you know how it is. You're you're a program that's that's struggling, and then all of a sudden you get a new guy, new energy, and if if success is the first thing you taste, then you just think like, what's next? Like everybody starts, you know, looking at the clouds. How high can we go? Well, but he's not he's not the first AD that that, that, that you've seen do that. Where it's where it's oh wow, this guy had a you know he had a year of success and he's hot and he's he's going to get away. Sometimes as an athletic director, you've got to be willing to take that risk because the worst thing you can do is see somebody with one year of success, especially in basketball, where it's a one-and-done situation in the NCAA tournament. Somebody makes a run or you haven't had success in a while and all of a sudden somebody gets you into the NCAA tournament and you think, okay, um, let's lock this guy up long-term. Yeah. No, but what what you do is you tap the brakes and you talk to that guy, and the most you give them is a one year extension, and you you see the next year is it a okay? What's he going to do if we don't have this particular player or we don't have these particular players, which he bit which he benefited from, which weren't even in his recruiting class? Let's see what he does with his own players. Let's see what he does. When the talent is not as good, let's see if he's really a coach or was it the talent that that got you through where you were. And for whatever, you know, athletic directors, they get get panicky. They get really panicky that somebody's going to steal your guy. Well, sometimes you got to take that risk and let your guy be stolen. Because if you let your guy be stolen, you can bring somebody else in 
somebody else will want that job. You can bring them in, probably pay them less, and who knows, you might be getting an upgrade. It's a risk, but it's a risk worth taking, and it certainly was worth taking with Travis Ford, and New Mexico found that out with Richie McKay. They extended him. He goes. To, he went to one NCAA tournament during his time. One year, he wins the Mountain West Conference Tournament after a mediocre year, gets into the NCAA tournament. They give him a five-year extension. Never went back to the NCAA tournament. I'm not even sure he went back to the NIT. And it's like, you know, he had one NBA caliber player. He got hot. Your seating told you you wouldn't have got in without that, without winning the tournament. And you gave him a five-year extension because you were worried about the guy leaving? Yeah. Never understood it. It's like, see what he can do next year. Because up until this point, he hadn't done anything. So, yeah, that's... I'm, I'm just, that's why Oklahoma State fans don't blame Holder, though, because I think, like, you know, it had just happened at Oklahoma State. They ended up, well, what was the buyout for Ford? Like, $4 million, I think, is what they ended up settling on. So, yeah, and, and here's the other is, thing. You have I to mean, answer to the people that are spending money as well. So, like, the people that are spending money just paid a guy $4 million to not coach the basketball team. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's so... Yeah, I, I'm just saying that does, that contract that absolutely more, that impacted about, what they were doing with Underwood. Does that say more about Holder? Or does that say more about Oklahoma State's financial situation? Mm. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure you because could, it may it, you could probably make an it, argument I mean, for it, both. I mean, it, you know, you, I'm I'm paying a guy, you know that. I'm paying a guy that is not coaching here. Do I really, can I really afford to, um, can I really afford to pay? Uh, can I really afford to keep adding on to this, this other coach's salary while I'm paying a guy not to be here? Right. I mean, right. the answer should be yes, but you may not have been in that financial situation because you were also trying to get a baseball field done. <laughs> Um, yeah. you know, Mike, let, let's face it. Mike Holder mismanaged some money big time, big time. And it wasn't just the fact that he overextended on Travis Ford. He overextended a lot of places to the tune where they were taking out of, they were taking money out of a rainy day fund yeah. to finish this baseball field. He jumped a gun on a ton. And there's a reason he is no longer the athletic director at Oklahoma state, because that was not his decision. It was not his decision to step away and take the emer uh, the emeritus role, where essentially he's going to essentially from everything that's kind of out there is that he's going to oversee what's going on with um, Karsten Creek and, and just kind of be a face of the organization. But he's mismanaged this department quite quite horribly. Yeah, over, and, and look, last, I'm not I'm not trying to defend Holder by any means. I'm I'm just trying to give you a little bit of a history timeline leading up to the whole Underwood thing and why the fan base absolutely despises Brad Underwood and why I think in this circumstance, there's at least some understanding on Mike Holder's part for why it went the way it went. I can understand. I, I, I can, I can understand that, but, um, I don't know. If I'm an OSU fan, all my anger is just directed at Holder right now. <laughs> <laughs> And, I, and I'm hoping Chad. Why I'm hoping Chad Weiberg can clean up his messes and and have a better working relationship with the football program at this point. No doubt, no doubt. That's uh, that what that's what makes uh, makes it all work, right? 
yeah. <laughs> you know, if, if you're if you're if you're not, you know, if you're if you're not dealing with football, you're not paying with football, then um, you know, you're going to find yourself in the same situation that the the Kansas was in a few years ago, looking for uh, looking for a home. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Uh, what's your uh, so? Even though you're not super excited about the tournament, what's your final four pick? Uh, final four picks. I'm going Alabama. And let me, all right. Al- Al- Alabama out of that region, out of that Gonzaga region, I am going to go with Iowa. So I got Alabama, Iowa, Baylor, and Oklahoma State. Oh, nice. Going to the final four. There you go. I like it. I would love to see Oklahoma State, like I said, get past Illinois. I think it's a really tough matchup. I think Oklahoma State can beat them. Uh, will they? I mean, if I had to bet on it, I would probably bet on Illinois, but I think that's good. that would be a great game. I, I'm That's the game I want to see most in this entire tournament. Followed quickly um, by Baylor-Gonzaga. <laughs> I, I want to see Baylor versus Alabama in the final, and I got Alabama winning. I, I'm thinking a year where... Um, God, when did when did Florida do that? When they went back, when they won football and and basketball, I think this year Alabama does the same thing. Was that around Tebow's time? Yeah, just, like, yeah, eight maybe. Was, uh, no, 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 nine. Was it? I don't think Tebow. Who was? Or, no, uh, no, Chris Leak. Chris Leak. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chris Leak for the football team, and then the Corey Brewer, Joe Kim Noah, Al Horford group. Yep, Billy Billy Donovan. Yeah. Billy Billy Donovan um, winning back to back championships for the for the Florida Gators, which um, I don't know if anyone will be able to ever repeat that at Florida. But it just goes to show you that you'd much rather be a basketball coach at a football school than a football coach at a basketball school. <laughs> That's the truth. Much easier to that is much easier to win in in, in those cases because you got a good football school. Basketball will get funded if you've got a good basketball school. Football normally goes on the back burner, with North Carolina being really the exception to that. Indiana's done a much better job with football over the last few years, but I mean, look at schools like Kansas. I mean, they just they don't care enough, and they, they don't care enough about fo- about football. That's why that's why I think any coaches that are smart would much rather go to football schools because A, you can fly into the radar. They don't really worry about you going to the final four and B, you're going to have really nice facilities and attract really, yeah. and attract really good athletes. Yeah. You don't care as much. And then you make one bad decision after another bad decision after another bad decision. And then you're so far in a hole that aren't they still paying Charlie Weiss, by the way? Um, they were at last check. Yeah. Yeah. So like you just, yeah, you just make so many bad decisions that like you can't fix it. You know, it, it just becomes a situation where like, it's out of your hands. You are, you are, uh, just done. Like you've got to just wait it out. Yeah. Which is the situation that they're in now. So Charlie Weiss, Les Miles, Turner Gill, David Beatty. My gosh. All that since yeah. Mark, Man- Mark Mangino got let go. Brutal. Brutal. Hey, uh, before I let you run, I got to ask you about your Patriots. Um, I I knew that Bill Belichick 
was going to react in some way to Tom Brady winning a Super Bowl, and he is spinning cash like I think we've never seen him before, right? Yeah, and, and still the quarterback situation is <laughs> up in the air. I, I know they re- re-signed Cam Newton, but if you look at his contract, one, it, it's not for that much money, um, which again, uh, for Cam Newton, and that's just it, it sucks to see Cam Newton in that situation. You just take a million-dollar contract to be on a team uh, with, a, with a lot of incentives. So you're, you've got a tight end. You've got a rush in. You're getting a ton of guys back. You're, you're getting some guys back that opted out this past year. So defensively, they ought to be pretty salty. Uh, did lose an offensive, did lose one of their anchors on the offensive line to Kansas City, um, which hurts a little bit. But they have given who's ever going to play quarterback at least some targets to throw to. You've got yeah. a tight end. You've got Two a receiver. So, yeah. So it seems like this year, I don't know if you could say the Patriots are all in, but I think the reason you're seeing so much spending from New England is there's just a bad taste in Belichick's mouth. He doesn't like to be embarrassed. Right. And he was embarrassed by the way the situation with Tom Brady turned out. And he's probably still upset over the fact that Robert Kraft interfered and sent Garoppolo out when it looked like he had the heir apparent, but his ego can't his ego can't take this. Yeah. And even if the Patriots don't win the Super Bowl next year, which they're they're probably not, probably not even going to be the best team in the um, AFC East, Bill has got to show that he's a good he's a good GM first and a great coach second because yep. it's the GM part of him that is just getting absolutely ripped to shreds, not just for letting Tom Brady go, but all the bad draft picks he's had over the last few years. And I, I don't know. I This is very uncharacteristic for, for Belichick. So how, he, he has to salvage this quickly <laughs> or like the, from a legacy standpoint, like how many years was the off season all about the Brady Belichick conversation? And in a single season where the two are separated, Tom Brady wins the damn Super Bowl, and the Patriots are one of the worst teams in the NFL. Uh, yeah, I mean, he has I don't to... think he has to salvage it quick. I think that's the biggest moment. If you just win a Super Bowl without him, yeah, just win one, then it's, oh, okay, well then he did know what he's doing. Or if But I think he feels like that clock is get... ticking. He's got to start putting this thing together way more quickly than being patient and allowing things to take three or four seasons. Well, you're saying he's in Jerry Jones mode. He's, yes. uh, he's yes. you know, he's, on, he's, he's got, you know, yep. last three or four holes of his career yes. and he knows it. So it's, it's got to turn around. It's got to turn around quickly. Um, yep. Yeah. I, I'll agree with, I'll agree with you on that. I think for him more than anything, He's just got to show he's got a better eye for talent than, than what he has in the draft. It, it, this year, this draft is really important. If for no other reason, you've got to see the fruits of his labor pay off. You've got to see them take two or three guys that can actually be NFL players. And nobody wants to see him do the dance that he's done for so long, which is trade down or take a guy from a school that no one's ever heard of. Now, that turned out, I mean, look, the second-round pick of Gunner turned out great. Turned out that you take the safety from Lenore Ryan, it paid off. You can tell everyone how much of a genius you are, but there are way too many other bodies that are buried that 
it just shows where, yeah, how did you miss this bad? You're the genius, and you're missing this bad on talent? Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll give you a little Noah Ryan guy, but there's some other guys in there, Nikhil Harry, first-round pick, which you're getting offers for, and you may only get a seventh-round pick in exchange for. Yeah, that doesn't reflect well on your GM skills. Yeah. And, and if you're anything, if you're Robert Kraft, you're thinking now, well, I don't necessarily have to replace my coach because I know he's a good X's and O's coach, but can I talk him into hiring a GM and let him make personnel decisions, which you know there's no way Bill Belichick would ever, would ever accept. Yeah. That, not, and if that conversation goes down, I want to be a fly on the wall for it. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, my friend. Uh, I know you got to run, so we will uh, catch up again next Tuesday. Always appreciate you, buddy. Thank you very much, Colby. Appreciate it. Once again, thanks to Eric G. from the Tulsa Sports Animal for joining me on today's episode of the Colby Daniels Podcast, presented by Artisan Botanicals in Midwest City. Check out their line of natural medicine products, abotanicalcompany.com. Use the discount code COLBYSHOW for 15% off your online order, whether it's Kratom, CBD, Delta 8, you get 15% off when you order online with my discount code Colby Show at abotanicalcompany.com. Everybody, have a great day. Stay safe, and I will see you tomorrow.